Howdy, and welcome to episode nine of the City SC Report. I'm Steve, and today we have the insightful Joe Chambers joining us. Hello, Joseph. Hey, everybody. And once again, we are blessed with the ever erudite Matt Baker. Good afternoon, Matthew. Good afternoon. All right. Well, fellas, we uh, just saw each other at the Luligan meet and greet, um, which appeared to be a huge success. And there were some great reviews in the event. So we thought we'd talk about that a little bit today. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit. Uh, Lutz was on the Luligan podcast. This is silly. Uh, great interview. Um, he gave some great information. Um, some of it you have probably heard before, but we'll go over a little bit of that. And then we'll talk about um, a couple rumors that have been flying around that we will just uh, briefly touch on. Um, so it's it's great to be back again. Um, last week we we got in town just in time for the Luligan event. Uh, Matt Baker, did you did you happen to go to the um, Forward Madison game with the Luligans? I did. Yeah, my wife and I made the trip up there. Uh, we spent a few days in addition to game day itself. It was it was an awesome trip. I I was blown away by the hospitality of the flock. Um, the city was incredible. Uh, Madison's just a fun town, college town on the lake. Uh, Madison's actually sandwiched between two lakes, and it was I mean it was just a fun time. Um, the flock has a really well oiled machine. The flock is a supporters group for Ford Madison playing in USL League One. For anybody that doesn't know, and they they do things really well up there. Um, it reminded me really, it reminded me a lot of the um, San Luis FC days where, you know, every, everything that we did, everything the Luligans did was it just kind of beat for beat reminded me of that. Um, they've got a nice little area around their stadium. Their stadium's in a really nice downtown location. They've got a distillery right next door, bars next door, um, apartments, housing. It's, it's a really nice area wow. and, and a good game. Um, great friends, good atmosphere. Couldn't really ask for more other than the the score. They ended up tying with uh, Fort Lauderdale CF wow. or Inter Fort Lauderdale, whatever they call themselves. Yeah, that's really cool. I, it's kind of funny, actually. Um, Joe and his family and me and mine, we, we went on a family vacation together up to Wisconsin, believe it or not, Wisconsin Dells, um, the day after the match. So we were actually talking about. Uh, possibility of joining you guys coming up a day early and joining you but it, it just didn't work out for us so we had to abandon that idea but at timing yeah it was it was bad timing and that's just the way it goes um but yeah it sounded like fun i we we noticed everything on the socials uh, all your pictures and posts and everything from the luligans that made it uh, it looked like a blast and and you're right madison is an awesome city i went up there a few years ago uh, with my son, and we went to Wisconsin Dells for a show, and on the way back, we went downtown Madison. Really cool place. I didn't see where the stadium was, where, the, where they played, but we did get to see both lakes. We went to a brewery and just kind of just cruise around town. Such a cool area. Yeah, so that I just wanted to get a little insight on that because that, that seemed like a really, really cool trip that uh, probably going to need to go up again sometime, and if so, I'll, I'll definitely be there. Oh, there's oh, there's a lot of hope that we make it a yearly trip or some kind of regular occurrence. Um, this was it was special though. It was it was a really good time. I would absolutely love to go back. All right. So like I said, we got back in time for the Luligan event, which was last week at uh, Schlafly Tap Room, right next to the stadium. So the stadium was right there on full display from the north stand. You know, uh, just really cool, really cool event. Matt Baker wrote a nice detailed piece on the Luligan website on what went down. Um, we shared that on on our Facebook page uh, if anybody cares to read to it. But since um, Matt took the time and effort to do that, I thought uh, it'd be good for Mr. Baker to kind of go through it a little bit and uh, tell us what uh, we missed, what went down. So, Mr. Baker, take it away. Yeah, this was this was one of the the events that I think a lot of us were looking forward to this year when it was announced, um, putting together kind of what I, I feel is one of the first true city centric events, um, kind of overall in person that, that there has been, you know, the, the club has their fan experience council and they have their, 
they had their mutt cuts and they had the, the brand uh, reveal and all that stuff where they got the community involved. But this was kind of the first gather in one place event, I think, that that there was. Um, the Luligans put it on as a, a means to meet the Luligans for anybody who's not familiar with who or what the Luligans do uh, for, for soccer and just for the community, for the St. Louis community in general. And and they kind of, the way it, the way it came to be is reaching out to different media members, uh, St. Louis City, to see if, if their front office members wanted to come and mingle and, and meet fans um, as, as kind of a, a way to pull together existing supporters, existing Luligans, and focus around City, but also to bring in anybody who is a fan of St. Louis City, a fan of soccer, has no familiarity with the Luligans, is interested, maybe even not interested in the supporters section, but just wants to learn more. And I thought the buildup to the event was really cool in that little teases of front office is going to be there, soccer master is going to be there to sell merch, um, if you're interested in any of the arms of the Luligans, like the Luligan ladies, the thieves, uh, the drummers, anything like that, come and find out more information. And even if you're interested in starting your own supporter group, if you're, if you're not interested in being a Luligan, but you're interested in starting your own supporter group and you just are curious what all that entails and what goes into that, um, Brad, who was a recent guest on on the pod, was very open about come and, and we'll share knowledge. You know, we know that the Luligans knew that they, and we are not going to be the only supporter group in that section when all is said and done. It's a 3,000 plus seated section or standing section. And there's going to be multiple groups. There's going to be um, individual fans. And so it's just kind of trying to gather everybody around that that not, that idea was one of the, the, the main concepts of the event. And the night of, uh, I mean, you said it, Steve, the the location just could not be any more perfect. Schlafly, they posted a video on social media of the walk from Schlafly to the stadium, and it is literally a block, block and a half at the most. And the event was held on the that second floor ballroom or event room, that space, where you can see out the windows the stadium. I mean, in full view, right up close. And it was one of the coolest parts of the night, being able to constantly look over wherever you were in the in the room and just see the stadium. And it seemed like it was almost complete. The structure's there, the, the canopy is going up. I mean, it was it was almost surreal. So the event was uh the event started at seven o'clock last Saturday on the thirty-first. And if you got there at seven o'clock, which my wife and I did, um, you were treated to a line. There was a line mm-hmm. all the way down the stairs. There was a line into the into the bar area of Schlafly Tap Room, and it was you can tell there was a buzz. You can tell the atmosphere was everybody was excited to see each other, to kind of be part of this, to see what was going to go on. Um, once once you entered the ballroom, the event space upstairs, uh, the Luligans had merch tables. They had uh, door prizes. They had name tags. You walked in, you got your name tag, you slapped it on. Um, one of the first things you could either go to the bar, you could go to the merch tables where there were Luligan gear, there was Thieves gear, the drummers had their corner uh, set up in, in the far corner. Um, Soccer Master had their booth there. So a lot, a lot, a lot of city merch was sold. Um, I don't th- I don't know if Soccer Master sold out, but you could tell within like 30 or 45 minutes, there was there was merch everywhere. There were scarves, there were shirts, there was flags. Um, Soccer Master was fantastic being there and kind of helping with that atmosphere and excitement for the club and for the supporters. Um, for sure. And there was also, there was also a, a good amount of front office there. So mm-hmm. uh, for anybody who's familiar with the social media goings on of City, uh, Matt Seebeck was there, uh, chief experience officer, multiple members of his team. Um, Courtney Mueller was there, the VP of uh, uh, PR. They had some ticketing folks there. Caleb was there, the supporter section ticket liaison, ticket manager for the supporter section. He was there meeting uh, all the different supporters and, and Luligans alike. So there was a great showing of um, some of the new hires in those areas and some of the, the leaders of those areas from the front office, VPs, um, C-level folks there. And they were all just mingling. They were kind of just meeting fans, meeting supporters, and just creating that atmosphere and that engagement. And it was really cool to see the the club make that effort to 
to reach out and to be a part of that. There was a moment when um, Mitch got up to speak, and uh, one of the things he did was kind of just by hand showed the Luligan progression from the mm-hmm. beginning. And then at the end, he asked who was new. And it was amazing the number of hands that went up. And that was really promising and just really cool thing to see. So there were definitely a lot of people. That was one of my favorite parts of the night. Mitch did a great job with that. It was brilliant for him to do that. And it was also brilliant to do the name tags. We never do no, the name, name tags. tags were, oh, <laughs> the name tags were amazing. And plus, it, it, one of the things that kind of, it didn't, it didn't ruin the event by any stretch of the imagination, but we had to wear masks. Um, with the right. rise of the Delta variant, with the new uh, ordinances, Schlafly was requiring masks. And so mm-hmm. if you didn't know anybody or you didn't know a certain amount of people, which obviously that illustrates right there what you just said, that I didn't know a ton of people there. And yeah. all those new people, I doubt that they knew each other. So the name tags were the way to kind of have that icebreaker, the conversation starter when you couldn't see anybody's face. Oh, and having so many new people, that's why it's important to have a, a Meet the Luligan event. Not everyone in that section, like you said, is even going to want to be part of the the specific supporters group, the Luligans. But that is definitely the group that, you know, some of us have been doing this for 11 years. In a section that size, you're going to have different groups. But you're also going to need to be able to talk to the Luligans if you want to be a large group. Because the supporters section is going to have to be working to get capos down front leading chance going to be having to work to to make sure that there's a drum corps that's ready to go on game day you know first day so people are obviously welcome to start up their own groups with so many new people and we don't know who's listening to this podcast some of these people may not have ever met anyone that they want to call you know that they knew was a luligan but they still consider themselves city sc fans the Luligans are going to be one of the groups people are going to have to go through to help coordinate all of that stuff. Um, and right. so getting lots of fans and lots of potential supporter groups working together to get the whole section on the same page, I mean, that's hugely important. Well, and one thing that I think we have going for us is that experience and that history. So where Brad and, and Mitch and them were touting, if you're interested in your own, come find out, you know, pick our brains, knowledge share. Well, you look at other clubs that have started up recently and that are going to do like Austin and Charlotte, where they didn't have that kind of infrastructure. They didn't have that kind of mm-hmm. knowledge and they're doing great on their own merits. Austin's doing fantastic. It looks like, uh, but imagine what can be done when you have all that to build off of. And that's what we have. That's our opportunity. So whereas you, who knows here. how many, yeah. Some of the some of those newer clubs, it's they're struggling to create that in an authentic way. You're having the front office trying to, create supporter groups on their own, trying to set up the capos and drummers and things coming from the team. And that's never going to be as good. It's never going to be as authentic. And you're, it's always going to be harder to get fan buy-in when that doesn't come from the fans. And that's where St. Louis, we've got a leg up on this. We, we should have an absolute top-notch supporter section before we even hit the field the first time. Absolutely. Agreed. All right. What else went down, Matt? Well, um, so there, I mean, there was a lot of mingling at first, and then then we kind of got into more or less brass tacks. So yeah, Mitch took the stage. Um, he introduced uh, a few different things and gave everybody kind of a, a lay of the land for what's going on. Um, Sarah Robertson, uh, Nancy Carver got to speak from the Thieves, uh, who are the the newest arm or newest wing, I guess, of the Luligans, the group who uh, really is aiming to do a lot to help marginalized and um, kind of un- the underserved or the the at-risk populations in St. Louis. And so um, got a little sneak peek of what is on the horizon for them. Got the the almost history recap, like you're saying, Steve. And then, uh, then Mitch pulled Matt Seebeck on the stage to give kind of what ended up being the, the meat of the show. So I came up with um, about six different news items that some had been alluded to or touched on all of them have been in discussions on the fan experience council in the in the previous month so the for those who don't know the fan experience council is a group of about 30 or so people that the club pulled together from uh different fans all fans who the club pulled together from different areas of the soccer community in st louis some have just no experience with soccer and they're just sports fans some are uh, community organizers. There are 
there are Luligans on there, there are pickup soccer folks on there. Um, it's a really a good cross section of of people in St. Louis that the club is kind of using as a means to collaborate, to bring new ideas to the table. And one of the, a few months ago, one of the events centered around the supporter section. And so what we saw at the Luligan event uh, last week was basically the fruit of that labor. Um, they had a nice rendering, which is, uh, I took a, I used a screenshot of that in the article. And so there's a rendering of what the supporter section is going to look like. Um, the first thing is that our supporter section is said to be the steepest in MLS. And where that comes in is really the atmosphere, the environment, the experience of that wall type of, of um, experience as a fan. You're not going to be behind anybody. You're not going to be, uh, you're not going to miss anything because somebody's obstructing your view. You know, you're going to be a wall uh, in the north end. Um, currently, the steepest supporter section, I believe, is 34 degrees. So if you're thinking like an incline level picture, 34 degree incline stadiums like Columbus, Austin, and Cincinnati have that as their 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 wall. Um, I believe Orlando is something similar as well. And they were mm -hmm. Orlando is kind of the first soccer specific stadium to have a safe standing section, which is also what ours will be. So ours will be a fully safe standing section um, that will house over 3,000 supporters. So if you picture the north end, um, ours is not going to be a full top to bottom wall like you have in Orlando or Minnesota or Austin or Cincinnati or anything like that. Ours will have a second concourse or second terrace above ours that will be general reserve seating. But that entire north end, the first level is going to be 3000 plus uh, safe standing, fully safe standing. And for those not familiar with what safe standing is, the idea is that there is no seats. Uh, there, there's no place to sit down for that, that wall, that north end. So the five plus sections there will all be standing. They'll all have rails in front of them to lean on, to um, just kind of rest your hand, whatever you want to do. They'll all have dedicated cup holders. So every single, every single one of those standing areas will have cup holder, rail, and it'll be standing. When Matt, uh, when Seaback said the the cup holders the the place mm -hmm. erupted because that's huge you know it is if you're drinking your beer or soda or whatever that's huge especially if you remember really is. the the corner yeah. from the luligans right at the at soccer park like this is night and day to what that was oh yeah i think i don't remember the specific number but i think there are there are about 20 or 21 soccer specific stadiums in mls and less than far less than half are safe standing at this point. It's starting to become the norm. So the it was always assumed or rumored that we would be safe standing. Um, now we have 100% confirmation and details surrounding what kind of amenities are going to be a part of that too. So that's really cool to know. That's why we're we're lucky that we're on the the tail end of this building boom going on in MLS because we can learn what other stadiums are doing right and copy all of the best aspects of it and then improve on it from there with you know things like cup holders. So uh, exactly. It should be, you know, hopefully state of the arts, you know, as good as anybody in the league has. This should be a, a great destination. From a from a game day experience, uh, another piece of news that we found out are that um, there will be three capo stands or capo stands at the front of the section. So there are there are five sections that will make up the supporters section. Five, um, yeah, five sections. A little over five. So there's like little corners on either end, but five plus. And the three stands are gonna be a central capo stand, a left and a right that are on the kind of the first, the third and the fifth sections to allow for uh, at least three, I don't know how many, I don't know how wide the capo stand is going to be. So you might be able to fit one or two people on those, but there'll be uh, three different places where capos will be able to kind of stand at to get our section going. And in addition to that, there will be a centralized drum riser in the, the central section, about four rows up. So that fourth, fifth row will be the drum riser. And the drum riser is going to, it's, I mean, houses the drums. So you, you can stand the drums there. You won't have to hold any drums as, as a drummer, which is huge. I mean, the, those, are, those are massive drums. You got your bass drums, your, your snares, whatever you're gonna have, and to have a centralized location. And that is actually, kind of a really cool thing to see them finalize because that was a big point of discussion in the Fan Experience Council. 
the guys who do the show up make noise podcast were invited on there because they're the Luligan drummers. They have the experience and the know-how of what kind of game day drumming is like. And they that's what another goes to the benefit that Steve we were talking about of the experience that the Lulugans bring. And based on feedback that they provided of how the acoustics will be if you're looking at a front drummer versus a drummer in the very back of the section and how the noise reverberates. All of these details went into placing the, the drum riser in that location so that it can be centrally heard to the entire section. You're not hearing like reverberations and you're kind of off as far as your beat and your counts when you're doing chants. So that was really cool to kind of see where that was implemented based on the feedback the drummers gave. The other infrastructure related thing that they went over was the the TIFO system. So this was super cool because this was another thing that we talked about in the Fan Experience Council that looking at other examples of stadiums where Portland and Atlanta come to mind um, mm -hmm. as probably the two kind of most famous TIFO, uh, TIFO rigging locations. They do some amazing things. There are a lot of clubs and a lot of supporter groups that do amazing things, so I don't want to shortchange anybody, but the, the, I'll use the Timbers and, and Atlanta United as the notable ones because theirs are, they have systems and structures in place to raise TIFOs, so it's not like we were doing at St. Louis FC or where some locations like Seattle have to do uh, because they don't have that infrastructure and they kind of pass over the, the cloth through the supporter section. These are going to be fully raised. I mean, you're going to have... TIFO rigging um, tuck points built into the canopy above the supporter section. There's going to be six of them, and they're going to be spread the length of the supporter section, allowing for flexibility on size, uh, depth, uh, type. The the rigging is it's going to be incredible um, for those for those game day TIFOs. Uh, the first one is no doubt going to be amazing, but the the way that this is kind of important is the flexibility of it all. So with six different tuck points throughout the section, making the full width 257 feet long, wow. you could have you could have one gigantic TIFO, but you could also have multiple smaller TIFOs that kind of create this, um, this visually appealing depth. And you can do all kinds of creative uh, designs. Um, kind of Atl Atlanta uh, and Portland have had some really unique ones where you you create that you maybe have one up front and then you have a couple mm -hmm. further back on the sides there was i think atlanta had a train one portland did uh like a freddy krueger type thing i think there was a um, bob ross one <laughs> i didn't see there that some, one yeah there, there's some and, and these were all kind of examples that they showed us as well when we were discussing these uh, months ago but to see that ours is going to be 257 feet wide where the only example I was able to find is Columbus's new stadium, and theirs is, I believe, 180 feet wide. Yeah, 180 feet wide for for Columbus in their brand new stadium, and ours is 257. So the opportunities are just ridiculous. I can't wait to see what it's going to look like. Uh, you know that first TIFO. Yeah, I, it's it's the next year and a half are going to be really interesting for now that we know kind of what our potential is to find somewhere that we could actually um, design and paint a potential 257 foot wide TIFO there. I mean, it, it kind of blows my mind and Stuart Holker and one of the most famous TIFO uh, mm -hmm. artists from the Luligans is, I'm sure is uh, spinning and going a little gray thinking about that as well. So that was, uh, those were some really fun things that they dropped and, and part of the rendering that they showed. Another exciting thing is the dedicated supporters bar. So they didn't have any renderings of this one, but the de there's going to be a dedicated supporters bar uh, just outside the main concourse of the supporter section. So if you picture, picture what the stadium of that, what that supporter section looks like, where you've got that entire first level that is safe standing. Well, when, when you kind of go to the top of that and exit, you're immediately going to be presented with your supporters bar. There have been a lot of conversations on how this is going to uh, flow and what's going to be offered there. Cans, drafts, um, beer, cider, wine, uh, liquor, all that stuff. But to have a centralized supporters bar um, to serve that entire section is going is, is pretty great because I feel there's, uh, there's some 
opportunity to tailor that to the supporters in particular, the, the group that's going to be standing and what do they want for these uh, dedicated cup holders on the rails and how, how is this bar going to facilitate all the flow of you want to be you want to make sure the supporter section is packed for the entire game. So at halftime, is there going to be something special or specific to this bar that facilitates right. all of that getting back in? So it, it, it's exciting to think of. I think that uh, he did mention, too, that I believe that uh, we're going to be kind of sectioned off from the rest of the stadium. Am I right? So like fans from other sections can't necessarily get in, have access to the supporters section, which should help with, you know, foot traffic and and whatnot as well. Am I, am I correct in saying that? Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not quite sure what that's going to end up looking like, but I, he did mention or it was alluded to um, that there's not going to be like that, I don't know, cross ability between those right. nearby sections and and coming over to the safe the safe standing part. The uh, so that I think that's about that about covers um, most of the stuff I had written down of news and information. It's it, there was a lot that's kind of laid out now, so you get a good understanding of. If you're going to stand in that section, what's your experience going to be like? And I, I think having all that information available now, because they're, uh, Caleb is making calls to people who have put down uh, deposits for the supporter section. And so mm-hmm. part of his part of his reach out is making sure that you're you understand what the supporter section offers and you're in it for the right reason. We saw right. examples of Charlotte recently where Charlotte is using their supporter section as the cheap seats. If you want a cheap, cheap way to get in the, in the stadium, they're marketing their supporter section as that, that cheap way. And which, they, which could be a good thing, but maybe not. I don't know. That That's going to be interesting to see how that works you, out. You're going to end up with a lot of people who uh, just want to give the game a try, who don't even right. know how they feel about the team, who are going to show up in the wrong yeah. section. The supporter section should not be the uh, the section for people who are checking it out. You want a hundred percent participation all in singing dancing the the whole you know i i i mean i'm getting my seats in the supporter or well my spot in the supporter section yeah but i know that that's not for everyone so i'm glad that they're uh that they're yeah. reaching out and and making sure people know what they're in for yep well i was going to say that just having all this information available to reinforces a lot of that so you're able to give somebody not just the expectation but you're able to give them details about the, the section now and, and I think knowing that this far in advance is really cool. I thought part of uh, talking to the ticketing guy Caleb Leon uh, was one of the more interesting parts of the meet and greet event for me because uh, he d- really does seem like a great guy who's excited to be here. He's coming up from USL Championship just like a lot of us were as fans who used to watch mm-hmm. St. Louis FC. He, he used to work for Birmingham um, so also moving up to MLS and seems to have a real passion for the fans in the game. I was talking to him a little bit about uh, things like traveling support, because that uh, is actually part of his job. If St. Louis supporters are trying to go on an organized uh, away, you know, outing, you know, busload of people going to to Roofer City in Kansas City or in, uh, you know, some other game, he's was talking about working with that. He's worked with some of those uh, because I talked to him about some of us as St. Louis FC fans went to uh, an open cup game two years ago in Atlanta, ran into trouble with their local people, not really wanting to support the traveling supporting fans. They didn't uh, at mm-hmm. the last minute said no drums, no flags, uh, no any of this. Caleb f- fully understands that as a guy who's been in USL championship, gone down and talked to secure. Okay, well, it looks like we had a little bit of technical difficulty there. Uh, Joe's conversation dropped out. So we're going to move on and move on to the Lutz interview that was on the St. Louisville podcast, This is Silly. So I just wanted to touch on a few things, a few little points uh, that he said, and get your opinions on these, see what you guys think. And I'll go over these really quick. Um, of course, like, we had uh, mentioned before through our socials, um, they hired our first academy head coach, Andrea Schumacher. So Lutz had said that, you know, he's young and experienced. If he fits his, the style of play that he's looking for, same thing with the other academy coaches. Uh, he stressed that it's very important to bring international and local coaches into the fold. 
course, everybody he's looking at buys into his idea of style of play. So he was finally asked, what is your style of play? And he said from the U14 through the Pro, uh, it's gonna, he wants that same uniform style. It's, it's a modern game, high-pressing, aggressive game. He called it the blue-collar approach, uh, very much the players working hard which I thought was interesting. I, I like that. I think that does fit our city. And if that's his natural style anyway, then that tells you that these are all great selections, great choices for what we're going for. I was actually, I was watching um, Mannheim versus Frankfurt today. The Mannheim actually won two to nothing. And so it was a bit of a upset. And the back of their shirt in English said working class team. And I, I thought that was so cool. And it, obviously fits in with with what uh, Lutz is saying. I think we want to be careful that I I like that, but I want to make sure that he's not just, it's sort of become the new coaching cliche to, to throw in working class stuff. If any of you are followers online of uh, UniWatch, the uh, blogger and uh, Twitter account that focuses on uniforms everywhere, uh, mm-hmm. is a running thing of uh, making fun of teams that buy into that too much, that that's become the <laughs> new cliche for teams who we're working class. We're, we're, it, it's all blue color. Um, obviously it, if it really plays out that way, I do like to watch that approach, but yeah, we won't really know until we see the kind of signings that come out. It's easy to say that's true. What that's that looks fair. like on the field is, uh, you know, I'm going to have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and same thing with the head coach. You know, he he said that he wants head coach who matches that style of play. The players, uh, foreign and American. He wants young players that that still want to grow. Real team players, uh, no thirty-four-year-old superstars. Uh, he wants, unless they're willing to put in the work. Um, he wants. That's what he wants. He wants to fill the stadiums for the team not because of old stars, but yet he did stress that he'll still want some experienced players for leadership and other reasons, which again, I think is great. Going to the blue collar thing, you're right. That's, you know, a lot of stuff in sports, as it is, (laughs) it comes to vision, you know, team's vision and, and the way they want to play. But I thought it was really interesting, though, one part of the interview that kind of stuck in my mind was how he was talking about, he was referring to the German national team and how they've kind of faltered these last few years, you know, not really lived up to, you know, they're, they're kind of falling behind the rest of the world a little bit. I mean, not like they're obviously still a powerhouse, but why they haven't been, why they weren't successful in euros, you know, why they didn't look that great. And, I think it is. It's a little bit because they're they're getting away from their core basics. Maybe um, they they need that blue collar and not that flash flashiness that some teams have. So I wanted to get your guys' opinion on that too. See what you think about that, especially Joe. You being a a soccer coach, does that make sense to you? What he's talking about, and and how does it differ differ with uh, the German national team? I mean, it does. It makes sense. Uh... You know, I, again, as long as you've got the players that that fit that vision, he is saying all the right things. I, I like what I'm hearing from Luke. He seems yeah. to have a realistic view of how you can build a team from the ground up for success. Because if you're not coming in with that approach, uh, I mean, it's it's a lot harder to try to make a splash in the league with a couple of big signings and then just figure, you know, you'll fill in the gaps everywhere else and make it all fit later if you don't have a vision. And it sounds like he does. So I, I do like what I'm hearing from him. I just am going to have to withhold judgment on what that looks like until we until we see a roster. But uh, sure, I mean, that is the that is the way to build a team. He's He's got that part right. So the the other thing that Lutz uh, said with COVID, it, it sort of is working to his advantage because uh, and the team's advantage because he really gets to focus on the academy, getting that all set up, you know, the, the academy and the structure right now into into what he has envisioned. Matt Seebeck at that point brought up a really cool, I just, I love this little statement that he said. He said, in addition to... This whole, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, in addition to this whole thing being a journey for the academy and the players, he said this is a journey for the fans right now, too. And it really is, because if you think about it, like my team in the English Premier League is Arsenal. 
and I think it's great to look deep into their academy to see what's going on. But I, I, I love the academy system anyway when it comes to other football teams around the world. And I love that whole theory or whatever you want to call it of, of taking a young player and shaping him, molding him. I was trying to explain this to my wife. Shaping that player into what or you have envisioned, what to fit into the top level of that team, the senior roster. And doesn't always work out. You might sell that player. You might, you know, just release them or it just might not work out. You never know. But every once in a while, it does work out. And I think that's great. And so, yeah, he's right. And that we get to see that happening here. And some of it will be young talent from the area. Most of them probably will. Some will be from other areas of the United States. Players who want to try to make that happen. And we'll see a few of them. You know we will. Somewhere along the line, a few years down the line, we're going to see our first academy player come up. And just like we did with St. Louis FC, we, we saw that there too. The young guys, they'll get a start every once in a while. They'll make that senior team. And, and it was exciting because you're like, oh, man, yeah, there he is. Remember remember we saw him? We always heard about him. And, you know, maybe we saw a reserve game and he was playing in it. And finally, he's getting a start. And it's just it's pretty exciting. And so Matt's right. It's not just a journey for them. It's a journey for the fans, too, because it's it's part of the whole story. It's part of the whole history book of of your team. And uh, it, it's exciting. I'm just looking forward to to seeing what the Academy does. I think it's uh, if you're going to be in a mid-market team, you're going to have to be able to develop players. You can't be expecting just to, to go out and be buying free agents all of the time. And so developing some of the young, great talent that comes out of this area is going to be a huge plus. I, I'm excited to see how that goes. Yeah, the Academy is one of the things that I've been most excited about this past year because that's that's where MLS is going. Uh, MLS is wanting to be a selling league. Um, there have been FC Dallas and the Philadelphia Union have been two of the best examples of clubs that are developing continuously and able to sell on those players. And it's just a pipeline. So once when you're a, when you're a foreign club, um, and you're looking to America, you're wanting established clubs. You're wanting places that you, you know that produce good talent. And that's that's going to be the hopefully the fruits of everything that we're hearing Lutz describe in building the academy is being that consistent source. Um, and, and that's not even taking into consideration the just giving local talent and local kids more opportunities. Um, everything that they're doing from the U14s and up with the actual academy to the community initiatives, um, like the where they're having the five to 12 year old free kind of community, uh, whatever they're called, a program, uh, all of those different things just is building uh, the foundation that is going to kind of propel city forward. And that that to me is exciting to watch develop um, and, and just kind of who all they bring into the fold to lead that. So the the coaches that we have are a fantastic mix of foreign and local there's a lot of connections that exist between like a tim kelly um charlie rankin and all those the local organizations and clubs um lewis swisher you know all there's so many there's so many connections that exist there already and then to bring in andy schumacher who i'm sure lutz has some kind of a relationship with from, from germany it adds that um kind of global appeal to it so it's it's almost like the staff they put together to develop the talent and to develop the 16 and 17 that are going to start this fall is everything that we hoped it kind of would be and then to watch them start in probably a, a month or so is going to be pretty incredible yeah i totally agree they still haven't said where they're going to play though right that's still kind of uh keeping that still up in the air as far as i know yeah yeah I mean, we and so then, you could probably just theorize like it could be a, a fuse location like Creepcore, mm -hmm. Heights. It could be, uh, I mean, anywhere that has a, a soccer pitch really could could be right. where they play. You don't necessarily need stands or fans or any kind of infrastructure for the academy. So there's a lot of possibilities. What are the different levels of the academy? Do we have an official like, okay, here's your you know U14 
does it go up every year or is it just U14 and U18 and then does anybody so, know exactly the structure? Yeah, MLS Next has um, age groups at every level from I think the okay. 13s up. Um, so U13 to U17, I think they have, or actually, I'm sorry, 19. I think they have all the way up to 19. And then every, so every year, MLS Next has only been in existence for one year. They took right. over from the Development Academy, but it seems like they've kept pretty consistent that every year there's a 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 19, I think it was. And our academy, I think, goes 14, 15, 16, and 17, if I recall. And then beyond 17, what would that be? Just like our under 23 squad or what are we? <laughs> kind of, yeah. reserve so that, squad? Yep. So then that, I think Lutz touched on this, if I recall, in his interview, the, what he was calling the lower division league team. That's right. And that, yes. that's the, that new league that MLS is starting to bridge the gap okay. between MLS Next and MLS. Okay. So there's no, there's no age, um, for, for that league, there's not going to be any age limits, but you can assume that that's going to be our under 23s. Um, if you're if you're aging out of the U17 academy, then that's going to be your spot. So okay, let's move on to the last little topic, the rumor mill. Um, I usually don't give this a second thought, but the we have two two little rumors that are actually kind of big rumors uh, that seem to have traction. So first of all, uh, flyover footy, Matt. You're part of Flyover Footy. Explain what Flyover Footy is. I don't think I've ever mentioned you guys, and I apologize for that, but tell no us what worries. you guys are all about. Yeah, Flyover Footy um, is a podcast that was started by Phil Grooms as the St. Louis Soccer Report way back when, um, years and years ago, I believe. And over the past couple of years, he's pulled together um, myself, uh, Stuart Holtgren, and Santiago Beltran of Lighter Sports to kind of get together and do a lot of what we're doing here, just chatting about focus mostly on St. Louis and uh, flyover country. So soccer related to flyover country is where our kind of uh, the bulk of our conversations lie. So it might go from St. Louis FC uh, when they were here to city to um, local, local St. Louis homegrowns who are playing for other teams, other leagues, uh, national team conversations. So we uh, we we touched on a couple things on one of our most recent um, recordings, which were these these rumors. And so one of them has some significant legs to it, and one of them is based on some deleted tweets. The yeah. <laughs> so um, the and it to me it's a little of uh, do you want to spoil the surprise that uh, that the club is going to have for some of these. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas one of them was, uh, I think, more legit. It's reported by The Athletic first. And so for anybody familiar with Louisville City in USL Championship, they, the former head coach, John Hackworth, was recently uh, let go or he moved on. He left the club um, after about a game or two this season. It was really weird. So that, that departure was kind of odd. Fast forward to just a couple of weeks ago. It might have been three plus weeks ago. Uh, article by Sam Saiskel and Jeff Reuter, Paul Tenorio in The Athletic, centered around a former Lou City, or he might even be current Lou City star, Jonathan Gomez, uh, and his move to La Liga, La Liga. And the interesting contract dynamics for John Hackworth, which Lou City is only getting about 100000 in uh, transfer fee for this, for Jonathan Gomez. And there's a clause in his contract that said if Hackworth leaves, then he can go on a free. And so they kind of scrambled to get him out the door for some kind of uh, fee. Well, in that article, it was also reported that John Hackworth now has a role with St. Louis City. Um, it didn't say what specific role he will have, but it will be a technical role with, quote, direct involvement with their first team and the academy. The one other piece of speculation I've heard from fans, not from any legitimate sources, is uh, wondering if he would be the head coach of the city's team in the MLS Reserve League that's starting up next year. Because now that all the MLS 2 teams are pulling out of USL Championships, starting their own league, uh, you're basically talking about a, a, a whole new second division league mm -hmm. that St. Louis is going to have a team in that is going to need to be ready to play next year. And so I've heard speculation that obviously he has a lot of experience at the second division. Uh, you know, could he be the head coach for that? 
that would be a great fit. If I were him, I'm not sure if that's enough of a move up to leave an established franchise like Louisville City. So I don't know how likely that is. Obviously, he would be a great hire for that. I don't know if he would want that job. I don't know if he would leave right. Louisville for anything less than uh, than a big job in MLS. Yeah, I agree with that. That's... Yeah, the two then the two areas that I had thought that's one of them. So we do have that lower division league, uh, that, and that league is applying for D three sanctioning. They haven't gotten it yet, but they're applying for it. So that could be a legitimate tier of U.S. soccer that we have a club in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they start in March. You're right, Joe. They, I mean, that's that's right around the corner, and you're going to have to start building that infrastructure out quickly. So I, that was one thing that I thought too. Head coach of that um, MLS reserve league club. Um, there's also, uh, an academy director position that was posted a while ago. And so mm. I, I don't know if that's still in the plans. Lutz is kind of, you, you would think he's assuming that role right now, or at least kind of acting in that capacity as the overall sporting director as well. So that, that to me, it's either academy director of the overall academy or kind of head coach of that. And if you, if you think about that as kind of a, is it a lateral move? Is it a step down? I kind of see it as a step down from Lou City with an opportunity with a much higher upside down the line. So you're it's kind of like what Ant Pulis did of leaving a head coaching position in the second division for an assistant coaching position in MLS. Like he's now in a system where there's kind of opportunity for the next evolution for him could be head coach in MLS or Hackworth. You know, now, if the, if he ends up being head coach of our uh, MLS two squad, maybe an assistant MLS position, maybe head coach in MLS is around the corner. I don't know. It'll be interesting. And I okay, did hear, about, so the, the last, yeah. the last thing I, w- I would say is that um, I, I doubt it's a, to me, I, I don't see it being the head coach of the MLS club. Um, I think yeah. it's too soon. I think it's too soon for that. And yeah. Lutz had, I forget which interview, but I think a timeline that he had spoke of at one point was, beginning of 2022 or first quarter 2022 we would have more news on a head coach i would have to dig up my source on that but i'm fairly confident that i remember that and i would rather see them take their time and get something like that right you don't want Mm -hmm. chaos at the top levels i mean shoot cincinnati fired another gm this week i i don't want to see us uh spend the first few years just floundering around trying to figure out who's even in charge at the club i i I'd rather wait until early next year for a for a head coach and get that decision right. And honestly, one the one thing that I think we're missing right now in our all of the academy when the academy doesn't really need this, but first team will I think. Um, the one thing we're missing in our technical staff is MLS experience. MLS mm-hmm. is a different league from from the global soccer landscape. There are a lot of nuances to roster structures, salary rules, all of that, mm-hmm. and. And then just style of play. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would hope that we would have a head coach with some kind of MLS experience because we have so much other, so much of the other staff brings all of that global knowledge and maybe Lutz's style of play. Um, and the academy is being built on those foundations that we talked about earlier. I would hope eventually that our head coach does have some MLS experience. That's a great point. Yeah. So uh, then what's the second rumor that we're hearing? Second rumor is <laughs> the academy. Yeah, I'm not going to go too much into detail, but yeah. the rumors are that the academy is uh, not just looking at local talent, but we are attracting nationally recognized talent from other academy systems. So the there there are rumors that former or, or current prospects, rather, for the youth national team in other cities are being courted and there were deleted tweets that in fact one had been signed so as our academy starts up here soon i don't know if this person will be in that initial roster but i think it's exciting that we're hearing rumors that it won't it'll be maybe a combination of local and nationally recruited because Mm -hmm. to me the academy serves dual purposes of you want to grow soccer in your community which I think everything St. Louis City has said and done so far is ticking that box. Um, but you also need to develop talent to benefit your club. And and we, I think we've never been shy of supporting people who have played for our team in addition to people who grew up here for St. Louis FC, for other, other clubs in 
uh, players who have been here. And so the the other thing that I think this just happened, I think it was Drew Connor had a tweet where he was kind of echoing that same sentiment, seemed to be echoing it in a negative fashion, but I, I didn't really understand what was negative about bringing in more national prospects or talent to our system when you're already ticking all those boxes of growing soccer in your community, giving all of the tryouts that we've seen to kids in our area. So that that's how you kind of get top level talent. You need to be that destination in addition to growing soccer in your own community. And it's, it's sounding like we're doing both of those fairly well to start off. Which is what you have to do. This is a top flight league. This is not a USL League Two team. You know, you you can't just scrounge for mm-hmm. for guys from the from the local pickup leagues. That's not how you build a team in the top flight. You're you're gonna have to be able to get real recruits. And I would love to see out of town talent seeing this as a place they want to play. The people that they want to play for. So whether it's whether it's Hackworth or Lutz or Schumacher or uh, Tim Kelly, if you're a keeper, like they is as somebody who is looking to further their career, if you're 12, 13, 14 years old and you're you're being told that you could have an opportunity to go places in the sport, you want to play for people who you trust and who your parents trust and your family trusts to develop your talent. And if if we're being successful in uh, selling what we're building to people across the country, I think that's only good news for for the club and for the academy. All right, fellas. Well, that was a good conversation. Um, I think that'll do it this time. Mr. Baker, thanks again for joining us. You're a busy man in all aspects of life. Always happy life. to talk soccer. Good. That's the way to be. Joe, thank you, sir. Glad to have you, have you on again. Glad you could have me. It was great. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff happening. Definitely. And there'll be more and more as time goes on. And it's, uh, it's really exciting for sure. All right, so everybody, that will do it. Thank you for listening. Um, As always, follow us on all the socials. Uh, We're getting a little bit more active these days, which is good. Email us with any questions or comments at cityscreport at gmail.com. And, uh, of course, listen to Flyover Footy when that comes around. Check them out. And the Luligans, this is silly, as always. So that'll do it. Until next time, everybody. Bye-bye.